Hear the word of the Lord from John 8, 31 through 59. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your, that your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies... He speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. How are we doing, church? 
Uh, my name's Scott, and I'm the director of operations here at Sacred City, and we got a lot of work to do in God's Word this morning. Uh, but before we get there, I've got one other thing I need to do. Uh, y'all may have noticed uh, we uh, didn't hit it on the first week of the month, but October is Pastor Appreciation Month. You with me? And so we're going to do some appreciating uh, before we get to God's word, all right? Uh, here's the deal. Announcements is pretty easy. Like, it's like you just give a mini sermon. I'm just going to give a little one here about appreciation, uh, and then I'm going to give the real one, okay? Uh, but one, the one thing that I've been thinking of uh, all week is I've been thinking about the opportunity to be able to honor uh, and appreciate uh, Justin Dean and Alex Arguello uh, as the pastor elders here at Sacred City Church is that uh, sometimes until you've uh, carried a weight, you don't realize how heavy it is, right? You see that bar sitting there on the floor with 245s on it, and you're like, oh, I can do that, right? And my 10-year-old's like, I can hoss that sucker up, right? Uh, and then you walk up to the bar, and you go to pick it up, and it's, it's a little heavier than you thought it was, right? Well, I uh, planted a church uh, back in 2018 in Iowa City, and uh, for a while, I carried the mantle of leadership in the church, uh, and I'm here to tell you and testify to you that that weight is a heavy one. And so uh, the weight uh, of leadership in, in the local church that uh, Justin and Alex carry, I, I don't say this to make much of them. I say it to make much of Christ because through them, Jesus empowers them to lead and guide and feed and protect this church. And that is a role that deserves appreciation. Amen? Amen. And so this morning we got gifts for them. Hopefully your generosity shows out uh, to them and how much uh, they appreciate it. I saw those gifts and I was like, I'm feeling an appreciation on their part. Uh, and so just want to make sure uh, that this month isn't just about me standing up here and saying that, but I would hope that you would take the opportunity relationally uh, to reach out to each one of them and make sure they know how much they're appreciated by this church. All right, uh, announcement's done. Let's get to God's word, all right? Uh, well, this summer we started in John's gospel, and I got to tell you, it has been an absolute delight to me. I don't know about y'all, but I am loving John's gospel. I love the, the opportunity to dive into God's word and really see face-to-face -face who Jesus is, to learn more about his identity, because as his people, right, there's nothing really that should matter more to us uh, than who he is and what he has done for us. And I don't know where people get this soft little gentle picture of Jesus but we have been coming week after week after week and seeing that Jesus doesn't hold his punches and this week is no different you might have noticed as the scriptures were being read this morning that Jesus isn't holding back well, uh, y'all know uh, that feeling when you get a taste of something, you get a small taste of it, you know, like when you go into Whitey's and they give you that tiny little spoon, right? Uh, and they're like, yeah, you can, you can try the, uh, the gram one, whatever it is, you know? And, uh, and, and you taste it and you're like... Oh, man, you shouldn't have given me that little taste because now I'm going to need a whole lot more of that, right? Now I'm going to be coming back. Well, last week was that for me in, in a way in that Justin, when he took time at the beginning of his sermon in order to educate us about uh, the biblical theology behind light and darkness, and then he took us into the person of Jesus Christ when he says, I am the way or I am the light of the world, right? How much more it packed a punch in our hearts. So hopefully you tasted that too because you understand 
understood the fullness of what light and darkness mean in the scriptures. Well, I got that little taste last week, and I was like, all right, I need some more of that. And so this week, as you heard in our text, right, Jesus gets point blank with these guys, uh, and he says, hey, you are of your father, the devil. Your will is to do your father's desires. Okay, I didn't say that. He said that. But I thought maybe before we get into that, we should do a little bit of work in the classroom, kind of like Justin did last week, uh, in order to understand more about the idea of spiritual warfare before we step right into that. Y'all ready to go to the classroom before we go to church? That's what I got for you this morning, all right? Well, here's the deal. Uh, If that's what Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. I don't know about y'all, but when he says stuff like that, I can kind of feel the temperature rising in the room, right? And so uh, we're not doing this in order to head that off in any way. Uh, I want to do that so that we actually understand what he is saying. So as we go to school uh, and this idea of spiritual warfare this morning, uh, the, the thing that happens oftentimes when we talk about hard subjects like that or specifically about spiritual warfare. I don't know about y'all, but I've experienced this before. People start asking, so like, what does this actually have to do with my everyday life, right? Like, I thought we live here on earth, not like up in pie in the sky in heaven. And so what does spiritual warfare have to do with our everyday life? Well, first things first, what do you think is happening as you go throughout your daily life struggling with sin? What do you think is happening as we're going throughout our days and we're struggling with doubt and anxiety? Well, I think it's spiritual warfare. I think this is what we live in the midst of. It is worth us talking about this topic. Spiritual warfare is not something that just really spiritual people talk about every day and every step of the Christian life is lived in the midst of spiritual oppression. Also, I think it's important to note that every New Testament author, y'all, every New Testament author addresses the topic of spiritual warfare. It's not something that the Bible leaves untalked about. And so I think it's important this morning uh, that we dive in to what the Bible has to say about it, at least at a high level, before uh, we go to church. So here's the three things that I want to make sure that we walk away uh, tuned into before we dive into this conversation Jesus has. One is that we have an enemy. The second is that we are not ignorant to our enemy's schemes. The Bible's really clear. We're not ignorant to our enemy's enemy's schemes. And uh, the third one is that in the midst of that, right, we have an enemy. We're not ignorant to his schemes. But the Bible is really clear about how then we should be on guard as a result of that. So let's go to one text uh, before, a couple of texts before we get to our text. 1 Peter 5.8 talks about this enemy. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The Bible tells us that Satan, the devil, the father of lies, he's got a lot of names, was created a created being and that Satan was among the first of the creatures, okay? He was one of the angels that was created and then fell from that position, He chose to rebel against God, and as a result, the scripture seems to say that he was thrown down, he was cast out of heaven, and we're told that he led many with him. It wasn't just Satan by himself, but there were many fallen angels that followed him in that rebellion against God. But the Bible doesn't merely tell us that we have an enemy, it also makes us aware of his schemes, 
Y'all, this, uh, this text was kind of fresh for me this week. Maybe it'll hit you in that way too. In the midst of a conversation about uh, forgiveness almost, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Paul, right, who wrote like two-thirds of the New Testament says, hey, we're not ignorant of his designs. The, the, in some sense, the enemy is like a one-trick pony. All right, maybe he has a few more tricks, but he keeps trying those tricks over and over again. We are not ignorant of his designs. The father of lies, as our text calls him, is described as a deceiver, a counterfeiter, and a purveyor of lies throughout the Bible, enticing us to spurn the counsel of God and inviting us to invest ourselves in his counterfeit endeavors. Church, we're not ignorant of his designs. Like the thief in John 10, where we'll get later, uh, Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But here's the deal. He's not going to come about this idea of stealing, killing, and destroying directly. He's not coming at you right face to face. No, no, no. His whole idea, come back to what Justin was talking about last week, is to do everything that he does, devouring and, 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 and lying to us, deceiving us, and trying to kill. And he's going to try and do all that in the dark so that you don't even notice that he's about his work. If he is doing his job the way that he knows how to do it, you will be completely unaware of his work in your life. In other words, it's his design to keep us in the dark. And the Bible says to all of this, be on guard because he's prowling around like a lion seeking someone to devour. To be on guard against an enemy who's come to steal, kill, and destroy is one thing, but we need a little more direction than that so that we don't just take up our sword of the Spirit and start waving it around aimlessly, right? And so I want to come back to what the text says in 1 Peter 5, 8 when it talks about this lion. Let's start off thinking about what God says. He says, be sober-minded, and if you think about being sober-minded before that, we should think about, okay, what does God not say here? Well, if, I, if, you're, th- if you're like me, you know, and you, and you think about, okay, we need to be on guard against this lion. The first thing that I think of is, all right, we need to take up our lion cleavers, right? Like, uh, if I'm thinking about being on guard, I'm going to get my best lion weapon so that I can kill the lion every time he comes at me. So that I could be like David or Samson and, and I could like not, this is what it, also what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, train your body so that you could come against a lion with your bare hands like David and Samson, right? Ripping them apart and taking the honey away from his carcass, right? Like, no, that's not what the Bible says. It says, be sober-minded, It says, be on guard, be sober-minded. So let me tell you what I'm really trying to say here. Church, our everyday lives are lived in spiritual warfare. We serve the true God, not the prince of the power of the air. And for the believers in the house, Jesus Christ has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. This is the kingdom of light. Jesus Christ has waged war on Satan and risen again victorious. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, to bind the strong man, and to liberate those under his control. But we would not be right if we got the idea that our role is to fight like Jesus and to follow his example merely in this. 
You see, it's not our job to bind Satan. Sacred City, hear me out here. Jesus alone conquered death, sin, and Satan through the cross and brought victory through his resurrection. And that means that as we are on guard against the father of lies, we must do that from a position of union with Christ. In the midst of this whole conversation, if you get lost and you miss anything, don't forget that our lives are hidden with Christ in God, that we are called to be strong in his strength, and his strength is what gives us any kind of ability in this battle that we call spiritual warfare. We're not doing it on our own. And so it's with this mindset that I want to enter into our text this morning. Our everyday lives are in the midst of spiritual warfare. We have an enemy who has come to deceive, to devour, and destroy. He's opposed to God, and he's called the father of lies for a reason. And our everyday warfare looks like being sober-minded and being on guard against the father of lies from the position of victory in Christ. I don't know about y'all, but I spent enough time in the classroom this morning. Y'all ready to go to church? All right, here we go. Well, I think what God wants each one of us to hear this morning is this. Because Jesus is the great I am, we must follow him and be on guard against the father of lies. My sermon title this morning is simply, we are always following someone. Will y'all pray with me as we get into the text? God, we are deeply in need of your grace this morning. Uh, especially as we are aware that there is one who would want to take the seeds of your word that are being scattered and would want to snap them up and keep them from ever coming into any good soil that would bear fruit for your glory. And so we pray, God, this morning that, that as your word goes out, that, that you would, you would do a work in me that only you can do, that you would work through my heart, that you would speak through my mouth, uh, and then you would do a work in each one of us, that you would soften our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear from you, and that, God, you would also give us enabling grace to be able to walk it out in our day-to-day, everyday lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, we're going to walk through this text together, and then I, I got to tell you, we got a lot of work to do, so uh, there's four things after we walk through this text together I want to make sure that we don't miss, but okay, here we go. Here we go. Verse 31, let's start right at the beginning. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, okay, I already got to pause right there, because you're like, oh, these, these guys believed him. Like, they must be on the, on the A team, right? Like, they, they, God's doing some work in their lives, and then you remember that we've been talking about this all throughout John's gospel, that there is an I faith, and then there's true faith, right? And so, I don't know if these guys had their bellies filled, and that made them have, like, believe a little bit, or maybe they saw Jesus do something, but... By the end of our text, you're going to see they don't really believe in him. This is I faith. This is counterfeit faith that's going on there, okay? So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, at least momentarily, he says this, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. We're going to be talking a lot about being a disciple this morning and a follower of Jesus. But he says true disciples, not counterfeit disciples, true disciples. One mark of discipleship is that you abide in his word. That you, you, you pitch your tent, you make your home, your abode is in Jesus' word. That you stay there, you're not going anywhere else. That his word is the place we come back to over and over again and we live it out and we obey it. This is a mark of being a true disciple. Verse 32, and he says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will 
know the truth. Well, uh, before I even go very far, y'all know like our culture is incredibly confused about this idea of truth, right? Like you can't even say that word out there without people saying something like, well, don't you mean like, you know, what's true for me is like true for me, but what's true for you is true for you, right boss? Like that's how this works. Like there's not an absolute truth out there. Uh, our, Our culture, when they think about being set free, they actually, a lot of them think about being set free from the shackles of truth that binds them, right? But Jesus here is clearly saying that there is one way to know the truth and that when we abide, when we stay in his word, then we will be set free. And this freedom is not from truth. This freedom is from the enslaving power of sin and from the father of lies and his rule over us. Back to our culture, at least in part, this freedom that when we know the truth and the truth sets us free, it's actually in part from this idea that we are the deciders of truth. It's, it's from the, it, like, we're set free from having to think that I can make up and decide what's true in my life and falling in line with the one who created us, who is true and living the way that he created us to live. That's where true freedom is. Let's keep moving. Verse 33, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? They want to continue this conversation about freedom and slavery, but it's like, I wonder, do they even believe the words that are coming out of their own mouths? You know what I mean? Like, these guys are like, we've never been enslaved to anyone. Uh, And then you're like, oh, I thought I knew some history about the Israelites. I'm pretty sure they were in slavery for like 400 years uh, before God uh, delivered them uh, from slavery in Egypt. You're like, man, these, anyway, I don't even know if they believe the words that are coming out of their own mouth, okay? But here we go. So Jesus answers them. Truly, truly, you know when he says that, that's when we should perk up our ears, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning, you might say, everyone who makes a lifestyle of sinning is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. We're going to come back to that text a lot more later, but I want to just at least make sure we understand the household language that's happening here. He says the slave does not remain in the house forever. Here Jesus is continuing the conversation about freedom, but at the same time he uses this imagery of a household. So think about the hierarchy in a first century household. Who's at the top? The father. Yeah, the father is the head of the household in a first century household for sure. Uh, who's next in line? Well, it's, it's actually the son, right? The son is the one who's going to follow in his father's footsteps. And at one point, he's going to take over his father's authority and his position. And then, uh, you know, you, you also have the slave here. And that's simply the person at the very bottom of the totem pole of authority in the household. And so Jesus says that if you make a lifestyle of sinning, then that makes you a slave in his household. But he provides a glimmer of hope by reminding them that the son, and if you notice it's a capital S in my Bible, right? Like uh, if it's not, make sure you catch an ESV because they got that right. Uh, Then uh, the son can set you free. 
the Son of God, right? And then Jesus directly communicates that the contention in this conversation, it's not really over slavery and freedom at this point. The contention between he and these Jews that he's talking to is actually around the issue of father. You see, a crass way to say what he's saying is, who's your daddy? Right? Like, he's like, you know, you can have this father or you can have this father. The, the problem isn't about slavery and freedom. The problem is, who's your daddy? He says, the position of father, translation, the head of the household in your heart is of the utmost importance. And then he proceeds to tell them who their daddy really is. So keep reading. And this is the fun part, right? They answered him, Abraham's our father. So, I mean, right there, you're like, okay, they're, they're leaning on their spiritual heritage. They think they're, they're a part of God's chosen people because they were born into the right family. Uh, their grandpa's grandpa's grandpa was the right dude. And that's their father. Jesus says to them, well, if you were Abraham's children, if that's true, then you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And you have to notice this is where they, they clearly took offense, right? And so uh, basically what happens there in verse 41 is like, you know, they're sparring with, with Jesus back and forth, this verbal conversation. And then all of a sudden, boom, they give him one of them low blows, right? Because they're like, oof, like uh, they, they, just, they, they took it personally and they take a shot at Jesus. Uh, they're thinking about his earthly daddy, right? Joseph, not recognizing that he is born of the Virgin Mary that he was conceived of by the Holy Spirit and so they take a low blow at him that he was born in sexual immorality. And Jesus says to them, he doesn't take it personally, he's not gonna come back at them that way, he's just gonna tell them the truth, right? He says, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. You see, there's this back and forth and these guys decide to give Jesus a low blow. But rather than responding to this low blow on their level... Jesus instead tells them where all of this is coming from. And he says, point blank, you are of your father, the devil. And he calls them out. Y'all know this country song I've been listening to lately uh, where it sings like, uh, if you stop telling the truth, about, or if you stop telling lies about me, I'll stop telling the truth about you. Y'all know that one? Who's, it, who's that by? I don't know. Anyway, I've been listening to it all the time. And uh, uh, I feel like it's, it's Jesus just bringing those lyrics to life. He's like, well, if you stop telling lies about me, like, uh, nope, I'm going to start telling the truth about you. And so they're like taking shots at him and, and saying lies about him. And he's like, I'm not going to go to that level. I'm just going to tell the truth about you. 
And the truth is, for any of us that are not united with Christ in God, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that truth is not pretty when it comes to who we're following and who our Father is. And continue on in the text with me. Verse 48, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon, right? Like now they're just like, no, I'm done. I am going to come at you. I'm going to say whatever I can in order to get you off of your rocker. And Jesus answered simply, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. This isn't about me. There's one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, again, our ears are perked. We're dialed in. If anyone keeps my word... He will never see death. He's, he's back to this idea. It's about my word. If you keep my word, he will never see death. And the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who, did you make yourself, who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. <laughs> Gosh, he is just coming right at them, right? But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Mic drop. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. You see, in the end, this conversation wraps up with crystal clear clarity. Jesus says in words that you and I might not understand as clearly as they do, but in words that, let me tell you, they understood clear as day in his original audience. He says, I am. That's all he had to say. And in that phrase, he reveals himself to them as God. In that phrase, he reveals himself to them as the same God who revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. In that phrase, he reveals himself to them as the one who has power to set free from the slavery they find themselves in. In that phrase, he reveals himself to be the son of God who is one with the father, who is their only hope of being set free from slavery to sin and following Satan, the father of lies. And he reveals himself as the only option they have when it comes to who to follow. Here's the picture. It's like Jesus takes them to a fork in the road and he says, hey, this is where you've been going. You're following Satan, this fork in the road. This is what it looks like. You do the things that you've seen him do and you do the things that you've heard him say. That's one fork in the road. But here's the other one. You follow me, the great I am, and this is your only hope to know the truth and to be set free and to walk in that freedom. And as you can imagine, they didn't like what Jesus had to say. But before they kill him, which by the way, as soon as they pick up the rocks to throw it at him and they're ready to kill him, it confirms everything that he's saying about who they were, that they came to steal, kill, and destroy, just like the father of lies, right? Jesus is able to slip away and hide because his time has not yet come. All right, so I know it might feel like to you that we've already done a lot of work this morning, but I, there's four things that I want to point out uh, before we head home that I don't want us to miss in this text. So here's the first one. 
All of us. Let me just say it clearly. We are all disciples of someone. We are all disciples of someone and we are always following someone. Right? This, this idea of disciple in, in a generic sense just means to follow. Okay? And, and the greatest measure of a disciple, I'm not sure if you thought about this before, but one of the best measures of a disciple is the disciple's ability to hold to his or her master's teaching. All right, there's a lot of places I could go to this, but we're going to go straight to Star Wars, okay? You with me? There are plenty of examples of discipleship in Star Wars, right? Uh, you got Luke Skywalker, and he's a disciple of... Come on. Yeah, Obi-Wan at first, right? And then, you know, Obi-Wan, you know, with the lightsaber. And so then uh, it's Yoda, right? But, like, dudes are right at following. And so the mark of a disciple is how well they hold to their master's teaching and what they've seen in them and they've heard from them. Well, then you've got, like, you know, you learn a little bit and we go farther on and you get, you know, the first three movies, which were pathetic, right? Uh, Sorry. But, like, Anakin... And you got Anakin Skywalker, and you realize he's a Padawan to Obi-Wan back in the day. And you're like, oh, well, he's not that great at it. Well, the mark of discipleship, right, is how well you hold to your master's teaching and you do the things that they've told you and that you've seen in their lives. Well, think about that, not just in Star Wars, but back in this passage. Look at verse 38. Jesus says, I speak of what I have seen with my father. He's like, you know, I'm God the Father's Padawan right here. And you do what you have heard from your father. Okay, you know who your master is? It ain't God. And Jesus here drives home the idea that all of us, every last one of us here on earth is a follower. We're all disciples of someone. We all have a master. We all have a daddy. And we do the things that we see our father doing. And if you think back to the work that we did in the classroom this morning... Some of us are disciples of God the Father through our union with God the Son by the enabling grace of the Holy Spirit. We do the things that we see him doing. We do what we've heard from him or we try to by his grace, right? We keep his word. But basically the Bible says all the rest of us, you heard me right, this is black and white. There are only two options here. Are disciples of the enemy who is diametrically opposed to the triune God. Now, don't get me wrong, the enemy's called the father of lies. So it's not like we were walking around telling people, yeah, you know, for all my days until I was 19 years old, I was a follower of Satan, right? Most of us actually are completely deceived and in the dark to that reality, but that is the reality. And I know that's a tough pill to swallow, but I think Jesus takes it even one step farther. And he says, actually, it's not that we're always following someone, yes, but we are also always. I just said the same thing. It's not just that we are all following someone, but that we're always following someone. Look at verse 44. He says, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. This is a lot like last week in it being light and dark, one or the other. In saying they are of their father, the devil, Jesus takes it that step farther. He's saying that they have not merely done a few outward actions that made them seem like they were following the father of lies, but they are fully deceived. 
And they are always moment to moment following the father of lies. And again, I believe Jesus is taking each of us to a fork in the road and showing us there are only two options spiritually. We are always following someone. We must stand there and be willing to sit at that fork in the road and do the work of introspection and ask, who is it then that I am following? If you're here today and you're not in Christ, I would beg you, not just ask you, but I would beg you to stop and consider this question. Who is it that you are following? And as you consider that, the thing that I would want you to do, or that I don't want you to do, is to take it personally, right? Like in our text, what happens is Jesus starts having this conversation with these guys, and they take it personally. And so you see that below the belt punch, and he's like, well, at least I wasn't born of sexual immorality. And they say that he's got a demon, right? Like they're not thinking with sober judgment anymore, right? They're not being sober-minded. And so think back. This is why we went to the classroom first, In the midst of a spiritual battle, when we come to these moments, I would beg you to consider with a sober mind the things that Jesus is saying. Not to take it personally and get caught up in your emotions, but to actually slow down and consider what Jesus is saying. Because I think there's enough here that he is saying that is worth you taking note of. You see, I know it would be really easy uh, to take this personally, And to storm out of here telling people that this preacher, this new preacher at Sacred City, he said that I'm following Satan and never to consider Jesus ever again. But I'm asking you, I'm begging you this morning not to take this personally, not to get caught up in your emotions, but to ask God to help you put on the mind of Christ and to truly consider with a sober mind what the Bible says. Because if we're trying to stand firm against the father of lies, one of the first things we need is to be sober-minded. Because the Bible doesn't just say this about you, and the Bible doesn't just say it about here. It says it about all of us throughout the New Testament. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. This is what the Bible says about all of us before we were in Christ. All of us apart from him. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following, this is Satan, another name for him, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. All of us were following him among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here's the deal. Until God God does the work of regeneration in our hearts, until the sun sets you free, until Jesus, the light of the world, shines over the horizon of your life, we are dark and we are deceived. And in the dark, one of the number one lies that Satan wants us to believe is that we're fine. I'm I'm fine over here, thanks. Like, how are you doing, Scott? Well, yeah, I'm fine, right? Think about how often somebody just tells you that, right? Like, it's not just when you're having a passing conversation with them. Like, hey, how are we doing today? Everybody wants to be fine. Everybody wants to think that they're fine. Thank you very much. But in terms of our spiritual position, we're not fine. Apart from Jesus, the scripture says we're dead in our trespasses in sin. Apart from Jesus, we are in the dark. Apart from Jesus, we are destined to spend eternity separated from God in hell. But if we don't take it personally, note, if we stay sober-minded, we can see that the Jews Jesus was talking to, they just couldn't carry the weight of the truth that he was speaking. 
They got hung up on things Jesus was saying and missed the person who was standing right there in front of them saying those things. If they were sober-minded, they would have seen that the one standing in front of them was the only one who could carry the burden of their sin. He is the only one who could set them free. He is the only one worthy of following and worthy of keeping his word even when it feels like it hurts. And that's why in the end of this conversation, Jesus turns it right back to who he is. Right? His mic drop statement at the end isn't about who they are anymore. It's about who he is. Earlier, Jesus had said, I am the light of the world. But right here in verse 58, Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Y'all, I want you to notice the progression in this overall conversation. In the beginning, Jesus makes a really strong statement about abiding in his word, knowing the truth, and the truth will set you free. And these Jews, they push back on that statement. They didn't like what he had to say. And as they push back on that statement, instead of like uh, pushing back against him, what they don't realize is they're leaning into him. They push back on it with their religion and with their spiritual heritage, right? They're like, no, 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 we're of our father Abraham. We, We follow our father's God. And the farther you get into the conversation, you realize that the words he's speaking at the beginning actually are the same words that they're leaning on in their progression in the beginning because it's actually Jesus' words that are the words of the Old Testament. It's actually Jesus' words that are the very words that their whole idea of heritage and religion is based on because Jesus' words are the ones that spoke them into being. You see... What we're supposed to get is that his words are true and the truth that they had been believing is what all of this is based on. That it's not actually uh, the things that they thought from their religion that needed to come in line with Jesus' words. It's that Jesus' words uh, were the basis of the very things that they thought they believed. That needs to come in line with him. You see, Jesus... refers to himself as I am. And this title that he refers to himself with is incredibly significant. It's so significant that when he says it, that moment they pick up stones to stone him. I am is the same way that God referred to himself at the burning bush when he was talking to Moses. And just in case you haven't seen that movie with Charlton Heston lately, you know, the Ten Commandments. Y'all ever seen that one? Uh, Let's go to Exodus chapter 3 and make sure that we know what he's talking about. You see, at the burning bush, God is calling Moses uh, to, to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. They'd been in slavery for 400 years. And, and so Moses comes to uh, God and he, he's in this place and he takes off his shoes and, and there's a burning bush and God's speaking to him. And Moses says to him, verse 13 of Exodus chapter 3. If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? (laughs) Right? They're like, they're trying to check their source, okay? So tell me God's name, right? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also says to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. 
And thus I am to be remembered throughout all the generations. Y'all, Jesus in the midst of a similar situation where people have been in slavery and in bondage for far too long comes and says, I am. This means that the one who died as the substitutionary atoning sacrifice for all that trust in him is eternal. He was before Abraham. In fact, he was, he is, and he always will be. This means that he's the only one who can say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. You see, he can hand out eternal life because he himself is eternal. This means that the one who rose again to conquer death, sin, and Satan is both the seed of Abraham mentioned in Galatians so that we could be grafted into God's chosen people. And at the same time, he's over Abraham because he's the one that created Abraham. Abraham was his idea. You see, later in John's gospel, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And these Jews he's talking to, they thought they were in right standing with God the Father because of their lineage and their biological connection to Abraham. But if Jesus is I am, then Abraham's words need to line up with Jesus' words and not the other way around. Sacred City, when the great I am is speaking to you, you don't get your panties in a bunch. You just take the time to simmer on it because what he says is true. You see, when the great I am is speaking to you, you don't take it personally. You just figure out how you need to respond. You don't pick up a rock to throw at him. When you come face to face with I am, there is only one way to respond. And that is to humble yourself and repent. And so that's where I want to land this morning is I want to point out some ways that I see a need for repentance in this text because if God is who he says he is, if Jesus is who he says he is as I am, then there is only one way for us to respond. You see, the first way that I think we need to respond is, in, is that we need to, instead of making a lifestyle of sin and find ourselves stuck in slavery to sin and following the, the father of lies, we need to make a lifestyle of repenting, yeah. right? Think about it. When the Reformation started and Martin Luther's walking up to Wittenberg Cathedral and he's nailing those things on the door of that cathedral, one of those 95 theses says uh, that all of life is one of repentance. If God is the light of the world, then we need his light shining into our lives, into all the dark crevices, so that day after day after day, we would be becoming more like him because we're turning from the darkness and we're inviting the light into our lives and we're turning to follow him as the light of the world. It needs to be the way that we live. Repentance is not just something we did one time back in the day when we came to know God. It's actually the way forward in the Christian life. Secondly, I think we need to repent of settling for the short-term counterfeit candy offered to us by the father of lies and fix our eyes on Jesus, the eternal God, who offers us a feast that will go on forever. Y'all, if we know anything about Satan, uh, I'm not talking about that dude with a you know, red suit and horns and, and, a, and a pitchfork on, on Halloween, right? If we know anything about the real father of lies, it's that everything that he offers us it might taste good at first. It, it, might, it might make us feel good. It might have some short-term benefit to us that lasts for about 30 seconds, like candy. But here's the deal. All sin leads to death. 
If you think about it in the long term, if we take an eternal perspective, Jesus the I am, right? The eternal God. If we take that perspective, we are going to turn from the candy and we are going to come back to the table and the feast that he has offered us for all of eternity. We need to stop settling and actually dig into the feast that God has set for us. Another one. I think we need to repent of placing any hope in our biological, physical heritage uh, for our salvation. Y'all with me? These people are like, well, I was born in the right family. My granddaddy's granddaddy's granddaddy was Abraham. So I think I am a part of God's chosen people. I know that that sounds foolish to us, but how many of us actually grew up thinking that I was going to be all right because I was born into a Christian family? Right? How many of us thought that I was all right because I grew up at this church or that church? This is where my, my grandpa, you know, he taught me a little, a thing or two. Well, we need to lean on the only hope that we have to be adopted into God's family is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. If it is not what he has done, if it is not in Jesus, then you don't have hope. We need to, some of us need to repent of putting our hope in the wrong place and turn and put our hope in him and in him alone. Y'all with me? I got a couple more. We also need to repent of being mastered by the father of lies and follow Jesus. Here it is. This is what he says most continually through this passage, by abiding and keeping his word. Y'all, Jesus' words are worth keeping. Can I say that again? Jesus' words are worth keeping. They were the words that spoke us into being. They were the words that the prophets have been speaking for generations. They were and are and always will be the very words of God. We need to repent of thinking that what I say matters at all and fall in line with what he says. Abide in his word. Make your home there. Daily be in his word. Moment to moment meditate on his word. Stay there. Pitch your tent there. And don't turn from it. And this is my last one. All right. We need to repent of this idea that we live in some sort of neutral zone. And that we're fine. Thank you very much. Y'all, we, we walk around the world thinking, oh, like, it's, it's okay, right? It, it's fine. And we think that the Christian life is kind of like driving our car, right? Uh, you've got drive, and when you're in drive, you go which direction? Forward, right? Oh, this is all right. I'm in drive right here. We're doing all right. And then, uh, like, you're like, well, those people over there, they are in reverse, you know, and those people, they are going the wrong way in reverse. But like also, uh, for some reason, we think that that's only the really bad people. And that we think that the majority of the world is, is in that gear in the middle, neutral. And as long as you're not sitting on a hill, you're not going anywhere, right? You're fine right there. Thanks very much. I'm in neutral. My car's not going anywhere. Fine. I'm fine. I'm fine, right? No, we need to repent. There is no neutral in the Christian life. In the midst of this spiritual warfare, there is not neutral. You're either following God and, and, and you're doing that by the grace of God in Christ or you are following like literally the father of lies and you are deceived. And so we need to take that each and every place we go and we need to let that guide the way that we live. 
This is a big deal. When we think about our neighbors and, and where they're at spiritually, we need to let this sit in so that we would share the truth with them, that we would help like, and ask Jesus to unfold the darkness so that they could actually see him. We need to take this idea and we need to repent of this neutral zone idea and believe what God has said about the world around us. You see, Jesus is God. He is, he was, and he will always be. And since the only two options before us are following him or following the deceiver, may we follow him for his glory and our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.